0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make Him known. If you are interested in getting connected, or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Um, it's so funny because the last couple weeks, uh, Stephen Nieves has come up to me and he says, the way you preach, you wouldn't get away with in a lot of churches. He said that. He said that. He said, if you were at my old church, your message of discipleship would not happen. He's like, you bring the gospel in a way that you challenge us in such a way to really question what God is up to. And I was just like, no, this 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 is always what we've done. And he says, maybe what you've done, but not what other churches. And I really sat on it, and I thought about, like, Wow, is that true? And what happens is, is that there's oftentimes a lot of hard passages in Scripture that we just kind of jump over. Do I get an amen for that? Right? Past pastors don't want to preach the hard stuff. When they don't realize that the people in their congregation is dealing with the hard stuff, and they don't have answers, and they don't know what to do. So for me, I feel like when I look at the hard stuff, that's when God does his best work. And when we're called to be a follower of Jesus, there are things that that literally rub us wrong that we have to wrestle with. And so what we've been talking about is discipleship. We love talking about Christianity. We love talking about coming to faith. But do we like talking about what it means to follow Jesus? You see, what we've been talking about the last few weeks, there's there's a couple different words, kairos, divine moments when Jesus just shows up and we have to respond to it. And if we don't respond to it, we're going to miss what God is doing in the moment. And each of us have always had kairos moments. Every single person you know has had a kairos moment. The question is whether or not they will respond, right? God is at work in everybody's life. God wants everybody to come to know him. The question is, are are we in tuned in such a way that we're willing to respond to the things that God is laying on our hearts, right? That's a kairos moment. Two, metanoia means change of mind. When he said repent, he said change your mind. Change the way that you see God, you perceive God, and the way you see yourself in light of him. And that's the 180 we talk about. Right? Everyone says, well, when you repent, you're doing a 180. It's not about your actions because your actions follow your belief. So he said repent and believe. The Jewish understanding in the Hebrew terminology is when we believe something, it's what we are acting on and doing. And so there's this tension that God is up to something, that in these moments, he's drawing us closer to himself, and he's saying, I want you to start seeing you differently than you viewed yourself, and I want you to trust that as you have a change of mind, you're going to start behaving in a completely different manner. What we've seen the last couple weeks are examples, right? My voice just went really high for a moment. We saw fishermen and we saw Levi. All these different people. People like you and I. People that are just in the norm, in the mundane, just trying to figure this life out. And there's this moment when all these things are going amazing, and there becomes a contention amongst Jesus and his disciples with those you would think least likely would push back on the change that's happening in other people's lives. Because people are going to push back. If you are really having a change of life, there's going to be some people closest to you that don't like it. And this is one of those passages that we don't like to read because it's not fluffy. It's actually uncomfortable. Like, if you really dissect what's going on in the Greek and even the Aramaic, it's a lot deeper than we realize. But you know what? We're going to tackle it this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for that person who is just going through crazy life change. And they are dealing with some conflict that they're not used to. And that conflict is pushing them in a direction that potentially could scare them away from what you're already up to. God, I ask you for for those who really want to see the Holy Spirit do something beautiful in their life. Do something in a way that shifts the direction of what has been happening. God, my prayer is that people remember a moment, a moment where you are doing such a beautiful work, that that's that sticking point that they hold on to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 3, 31 through 35, and let's read what it says. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you, right? Hey, guess who's here? Mom and your brothers, right? Right? Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look at these. Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So let's talk about the setting. Mark chapter 3. There's 16 chapters in Mark. And, And I need to say this. Every gospel's word is God's word. Amen? Amen. But there's something very unique when multiple gospels bring up the very same passage. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all share this same passage. So there's something significant that we have to hold on to. Meaning, not for everybody, but for most, there's going to be a place of conflict that's going to happen. So Jesus is doing all this amazing work. All these people are following him. He was already healing and doing all these things before he even gathered his disciples. He was already doing that. And as he was teaching and as he was healing, he was building his band of brothers that he was going to train and equip. So when he went to heaven, he was going to send them out to do the mission of God. Now, people didn't like the teachings of Jesus. Most did. They actually mostly loved his miracles, but there were some that did not. And so there came a place of contention, where Mary and the brothers of Jesus show up. Now let's remember this. Were there other times in Scripture where Jesus had conflict with his family because of the mission of God? Yes, we see it when he was a little boy. Yes, Jesus freaked his parents out when, when he stayed behind, but, but there is a place of conflict. There was a place of conflict. Remember his age, that there was a place of conflict. But then if you read John chapter 7, so everyone, you can write this down. John chapter 7, you can go back and look it up. There was a conflict between Jesus and his siblings. And so what had happened was, is that there was a, an issue going on with how Jesus was doing ministry. What he was preaching the signs and wonders, and how he was handling himself. And so when Mary, the matriarch of the family, came with his siblings, this was not a kumbaya, let's sit in on Jesus' teachings. This was actually a place of tension, of conflict. Now let me say a few things. Mary totally knew who Jesus was. Amen? Yes. She totally believed in what Jesus was doing. Amen? Yes. But there are also tensions like mothers and children have. Do I get an amen for that? Yes. That sometimes if they're not doing it our way, we want it done a little bit different. Think about when Jesus turned the water into wine. Mary forced Jesus to do something. Mommies, did you ever force your kids to do something they didn't want? Do I get an Amen. Okay, seriously, you should all be screaming at the top of your lungs. I know even my Susie Q has done that, and I'll just call you out. You know I will, right? Like, right? Like, Mama said, even when they go to, like, the parents, like, Mom said I couldn't do it. And Dad says, please, just do it. I want to have a great night tonight, right? There's this place of conflict. But we don't really know how this all unfolded. Were the siblings actually mad at Jesus and said, Mom, you got to stand up for us. He'll only listen to you. Because at this point, Joseph had passed away. And so mom was the matriarch. And so there's this place of contention. Now, also remember, when you're studying church history, did all of Jesus' relatives come to know him? No. No. Imagine the missed opportunity. Imagine the missed opportunity like... Dude, he was blood. How did I not see it? But that's the setting. There's a place of tension for whatever reason it is that we can kind of like kind of put things together that say this is what's been created. But there's a conflict that's happening that his mother and siblings want to address. And they go to him. So let's talk about cultural familial understandings. Ooh, this is going to make us all feel really uncomfortable. Anyone excited? Right? Anyone? Do I get an amen for that? You think I was excited putting this one together? Oh, Lord, we prayed a lot. Me and Jesus spent a lot of time together. Think about this. Culture in Middle Eastern countries, especially ancient Middle Eastern countries, are very different than here in typical U.S.A. Now, I'm going to address all this. Most Westerners raise their kids to send them out and figure it out for the rest of their life, right? How many parents, as a youth pastor, say, and their kids would be like 15. I've done my job. I'm like, no, you haven't. You still have them for like three or four years, and nowadays they live with you forever. Trust me, I know that, right? Like, they stay with you. And and, and so like our understanding is we raise them properly to send them out to go figure this out And so many of us have kids that are all over the country anyone in the room like this My daughter lives all the way across the world. She doesn't live halfway across the world. She lives across the world We train them. we, We we prepare them. We send them out And that's the norm It's almost a badge of honor when your child lives away and they're just thriving. As much as we miss them, it's still part of our typical American society. But ancient biblical times, or if you are first gen here in the U.S., right? Right, yeah, Korean, right? Whether it's Korean or, or, or Italian, right, or Irish, or you just name the background, like, like family is everything. Think about like a strong Irish Catholic family, right? Let's just call it what it is, or an Italian Catholic family. Family is everything, right? I mean, it is everything, and so literally, when you study the people of God, their lineage meant everything. When James and John walked away from from Zebedee, that was a big deal, That was like a cutting off, not that they were deliberately trying to dishonor their father. They were trying to honor God who their father had been pointing them to. And so there's these tensions that literally when you study the Old Testament, when you left the people of God, when you left your tribe, it was a big deal. Family is everything. And so we live in this culture, and I think one of the reasons, when all the different commentaries that I read through, they say one of the reasons so many ministers jump over this passage is because we don't really understand the strong family bonds that were happening in Middle Eastern countries or in ancient times. There's these bonds. I'll tell you one of the greatest things with having Paul Lee on staff has been really teaching me what does it mean to be first gen here in the United States. And so what we need to understand is that there are tensions that people have, those closest to us, when things are different than what they expected. As a parent, has that ever happened to you? Right? As a friend, when you see a friendship or a sibling going in a different direction, have you felt that tension? Bridging the gap yet causing a divide. What was the point of them seeing Jesus? They wanted to bring him back to Nazareth. That's really what it is. When you really study and you really get down, they wanted to bring him back home to do the things that he was doing out there in Nazareth, but in a better controlled environment. Their way, not his way. We have to realize this. When we truly follow Jesus, and we really have this metanoia, this change of mind, there are things that actually start shifting in in our heart and minds. And they're actually for the better. Value systems, the manner we communicate with one another, generational strongholds that are just the norm. Some of you have grown up in environments where you have value systems as families that differ than the holiness of God. Do I get an amen? Right? Right? There are differences the manner we communicate with one another. I'm not yelling. But really? You are yelling. Right? The way we communicate with one another that has been damaging and hurting to one another. Right? There are wounds that have been passed down generationally that when we become a follower of Jesus we say like wait a second. God is wanting to change my heart and my mind, and he wants to change how I see others, and especially those closest to me, and how I treat my neighbor as myself. And when we become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to start breaking those generational strongholds that we've been attached to. And it's just not family strongholds. It's area strongholds. It's friendship strongholds. I'll be honest with you that that fortunately I grew up in a family that when I gave my life to Jesus, they were like, finally. Any parents out there that just say finally, right? But everyone else in my sphere of influence hated it, hated it. I lost everybody, everybody, because I had such a radical metanoia. And it was tough because I didn't want to talk like that. I didn't want to act like that. I didn't want to behave like that. And when I got around certain individuals, it was like this, this, this confrontation that was tough. And there's a tension in this passage that we, we simply overlook because we don't want to deal with relational conflict. But if you are really a follower of Jesus, and there is an actual change in your life, there are going to be people that have a hard time with it, even at work. If you've been someone who kind of bends the rules and cheats a little bit, and you have a come to Jesus moment, and you stop bending the rules, and you stop cheating, you think your employees are going to like you? No, because all those things got you ahead. Because deep down, you are really like Levi, right? Well, I'm not a Levi. Have you ever cheated? Have you ever bent the rules? Have you ever kind of skimmed something off? Have you ever taken advantage, right, of your expense card? If you've done any of those things, you're a Levi. Just call it what it is. And at some point in all of our lives, we've all been a Levi. We've all been a Simon. We've We've all been an Andrew. And so there's this tension. That they're there saying, we're here to confront what's really happening in your life at the moment. And I think it's funny because it shocked people. When you really like dive into this passage, his family did not want to come into the setting. They wanted Jesus to go out to them. I bet you the person who kind of answered the door they said, Come on in, front row. Let's honor you. Let's celebrate you. Like, you raised Jesus, you are his siblings. And I bet you they said, no, nope. Send them out to us. It's not one of those meetings. And so here you see Jesus' response. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, we have to ask the hard question. Is Jesus throwing away family importance and values? No, he's not. Because when you study scripture, and I'll share this at the very end, that there are very much passages where he continued to honor his family all the way up to the cross. I mean, think about that. One of the last things that he said, he looked down from the cross and he said, John, this is your mother, and Mary, this is your son. Jesus always honored his family, yet he was saying that there was this new dynamic that's taking place, that actually is a stronger, more powerful bond than any earthly lineage human tie has. And I believe the church has missed this. I really do. I think that we've missed this, that we've become so egocentric that we've missed what Jesus was talking about do our ethnicities, family structures, or even what we have been told, who we are and what we must do truly match up with what makes up our identity in Christ? Seriously, when we really look at what Scripture says like our identity is supposed to be found in and who we are, does it really match up to how we were raised? And I don't mean just by our families. I mean by our school systems, by our neighbors, what are they telling us what to do? I I love the idea of hands of hope. What you guys are all doing is you're creating a family structure amongst yourself. I mean, you always sit together. You're like a gang, right? Like you mess with one of them, the rest of them are going to take you out. Like seriously, like they walk in together and at first they kind of walk in slowly and then one pops up and they just kind of get really excited, right? And they're shaping how to really look at what is this gospel really calling us to. Love the least of these. Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is. This is what the family of God is. Those who choose to live under a new identity. My brothers, my sisters, my mothers are those who choose to live under the identity of who they are as sons and daughters of God. And Mary was doing that. His siblings weren't. He says, this is what family is. Those who live in a place of honesty as they see themselves and others through the lens of God. Jesus is saying, this is what family is. Those who are on mission with him to see the world experience the kingdom of God together. Right? There's someone in our church who uh, I've known for many, many years. We had a relationship even before the plants. And I texted him this morning because he he had a, a really bad thing happen this past week. A physical thing. Something we were praying for. And he said, I've never had anyone in my life this close. I'm like, dude, you have four siblings. What's family? What's true family? And this was such a surprise to the crowd. He's saying those who are truly family are those who are saying, I find my identity in who Jesus has called me to be. I find my identity in who those who are on mission with the things of God together. I find family for those who love me so much that they speak truth as they show me grace. Again, why is this so important? Why did Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about this? It's a big deal why? I mean, we've all experienced community in some ways like this. If you've ever been on a sport team, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever served in the armed forces and you've been in the military, like there, that's why they call it a band of brothers, Amen. right? That, that men and women who literally would die for each other, people who come back from Iraq or Afghanistan or places where they've served together and they've only been through certain things together that no one else is, no one else understands them. Think about AA or or the care group that we have at church, people who are going through addictions, those who have never experienced what they've gone through have no idea what they're really, really dealing with. Think about ambulance and EMS and and firefighters. Like, they're a unique group of individuals that will literally live and die for one another because their value systems are all one together. They are so intentional. They say, we are going to do life together no matter what. And yet Jesus says that there's even something bigger than that. Yes, all these things are great examples, but they're, but they're partial because our humanness can get in the way. You see, when you have a divine relationship with Jesus and others, there's a bond that even when you are in conflict, you are able to say, I will overlook that Because Jesus has taught me grace and forgiveness like never before. I love that. I love that. I love that there's some people in this room that I've known pre-plant that that we have just walked through life for about 18 years together. And when their kids see me or I see their kids, there is a deep love that is so deep that there's nothing that, that is even earthly as strong. And we as a church don't talk about this. You see, there's a word that Jesus used for the church. It's used 106 times in the New Testament. That's a lot of times. It's called oikos. Everybody say oikos. Oikos. Oikos, right? I'm teaching you a lot of Greek stuff, right? Metanoia, Kairos, oikos. What's next week, right? Bukos, I don't know, whatever, right? Make something up, you wouldn't even know the difference, right? <laughs> so, so think about this. Oikos. It talks about household. Yes, the majority of time it's talking about a physical place. But there are multiple times that it's talking about the spiritual community that Jesus had established when his ministry began. And it's this idea of intentional community that's centered on the things of Jesus. It's what we've been fighting for for the last 14 years to see happen. And when I think about the word oikos and I think about household of faith, I think, what does it mean to be these things? First, a welcoming community. You see, the word for hospitality is love of stranger. Some of you are amazing at throwing parties, and caring for those that you know who are closest to you. But the, world, the real word for, for hospitality is the love of stranger. Have you learned to love those in this community in such a way that you didn't know them before, but God has brought you together, and there's been this new connection that once you were strangers, but now you are closer than some other people in your life. I think about Megan Tyler, our kids director. She came all the way here from the beautiful state of Alabama. Yes, Roll Tide. She came here. There was a season she had nowhere to live. And there was a family in our church that welcomed them to live for her to live with them. Think about that. A welcoming com- a community. A healing community. That we will put aside our differences. And we will center our lives on the things of Jesus. So that we would see each other experience physical emotional, spiritual, relational, vocational, and even financial healing, right? We're not doing this balanced course so that our giving goes up. We're doing this balanced financial course so that you can live in the healthiness and the balance that God has been providing for you, but you've been living off balanced. We are called to be a healing community. My wife and I, we invited a young man to live with us for six months. He didn't have a father. His father passed away. And Sue came home one Sunday and said, so-and-so is going to live with us for six months. He's going to learn to be in this house and be family with us. He has loved us, and we love him, and he needs a place to be. An extended family that we literally act in a way that provides for the emotional Relational needs that some people have never experienced before. Our world is so messed up. Amen? Amen? Seriously, we don't know how to be healthy family. We don't know how to be healthy with one another. And unfortunately, most churches are the dysfunctional communities in their town. We have to learn to be an extended family that lives in a place of, of healthy, relational, emotional places where people get to experience the true transformation of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. We're a family on mission. Why are we doing this? Because people in this world are dying and going to hell. Churches don't even say that anymore. Like, do you realize if you don't share the hope you profess, People that you love deeply, they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it. There's no in-between. And we need to be on mission together, whether it's Hands of Hope, whether it's the Friday night group that, that really wants to focus on teenagers, whether it's the care group, whether it's the mommy's play group. It's not just for people in our church. Whatever it is. How are we on mission together? And Jesus says, those who are on mission with me, those who are learning to be spiritual brothers and sisters together, those who are bringing healing to other people, and those who are welcoming even to the stranger, that's who my family is. I have to wrap this up. True faith means real conflict. I'm serious. How many of you love conflict out there? Any of you? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Put your hands down. Put your hands down. <laughs> but most people hate conflict. But there are stories in this room whose families wanted to see such transformation in their life. They actually sent their friends or their, 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 their siblings Or other family members to the church to find healing and hope. And the moment there was real life transformation, they started freaking out because their values changed. The way that they were being treated, they would not put up with it anymore. And there was a real conflict. As people see you have a metanoia, change of heart, your new belief systems and values will come into conflict with others. It's true. It's true. As your heart changes and your character and habits become in line with Jesus, others are going to have a hard time with the new you. It's true. If you've really had a metanoia, there's going to be some places of conflict. As you allow others to invest in you and you invest in new relationships, there will be a conflict of allegiance from them. And you're like, there's no conflict of allegiance. Well, you don't spend as much time with us. You talk different. You act different. You behave different. You don't participate in the things that that we've always done our whole life long. And you're saying, these things have destroyed me, and you're telling me that I need to change, and this is what God is up to. And Jesus is saying, you in this room, that's what God's up to. Being a disciple is recognizing that conflict against you is not one of the natural world, but that of the spiritual world. Anyone who is in conflict with you is actually not in conflict with you. They're actually in conflict with God. Right? Anyone who is in conflict with you is actually not in conflict with you, but they're in a spiritual battle with God. Look what Paul says. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. The enemy will blind the people in our life from seeing this this major transformation in you. And it comes to a place of conflict. Conflict. And we must understand that they are actually not in conflict with us, but they're in conflict with what what God is doing in our lives. I mean, mean, think about Hands of Hope. You started a ministry during COVID. What are you, crazy? How irresponsible is that? (laughs) Right? Serious. Right? Think about that. Think about that. Think about what happens when we really, truly follow Jesus. There are people that will say, that is irresponsible. You got 1560 on your SATs and you went to NIA College? That was a really poor choice. Trust me, I didn't get 1560. <laughs> but I know someone who did and went to NIA College. Think about that. So, we have to realize several things. If you are truly a disciple of Jesus, there will be tension in the midst of change. It's going to. It's going to. As a couple, we have felt it and we've experienced it from others. And it's always the people closest to us because that's what hurts the most. Amen? Right? There will be tension in the midst of change. Yet, we, here's what we have to realize. Not everyone is going to welcome this new metanoia in you. They're not going to welcome it. And that's okay. That's where you need to pray. Two, honor in the midst of conflict. Honor in the midst of conflict. Even though his siblings were mad at him, Jesus always honored his siblings. Yes, his siblings, I believe, pushed Mary to this, but he always honored his family. He always honored his family. Let me just go through this so you can see some scripture. Although he warns that it is sometimes necessary to leave family for the sake of the gospel, he still honored his parents, his family. He also teaches that taking care of parents is an essential part of faith. You have a responsibility that even though God may be calling you to do something, there is a responsibility to care for your family. Amen? Amen. There is a responsibility. Jesus exemplifies this responsibility. While hanging from the cross, he makes sure that Mary is cared for by John. So there's this place that as other people struggle with us, that we have to honor other people in our life. And Jesus invites us to be part of oikos, to be part of community. This community is one that is intentional to bring about true spiritual transformation to all those involved. This oikos is so powerful, I believe at times it's even stronger than family. You know the beautiful thing of this whole narrative? I said that the majority of Jesus' siblings did not come to know him. Well, his one brother, James, when Jesus died and was resurrected, he got it. He got it. I just got chills. Anyone else get chills? He got it. Jesus loved him, honored him, respected him, even as the father was calling him to do things that James hated. And James became a main leader in the church. And when you open your Bibles and you get towards the end of the New Testament, there's a book written by his brother, James. Check this out. This was my final thought. Our oikos even breaks into our family structures. You want to see your family come to Jesus? You honor them in the midst of tension. And as you honor them in the midst of tension, you surround yourself with a healthy community where the metanoia becomes the natural way in which Jesus is working in your life. Plant family, we need to be oikos. We got to figure this out. For 14 years, we've been fighting this, and that's what we need to be. Because when we are oikos, The power of God is so powerful that nothing can steal what he's up to. This is a hard passage. Anyone like reading this passage? Give me an amen. Amen. Yeah, one person, right? (laughs) (laughs) But for some of you, this brought clarity. Why are certain people struggling with this transformation? They're going to struggle. Stick with it. Ben, come on up because we have to wrap this baby up. We're just going to do the course. Stick with it. Lean into the people that are walking you through your spiritual transformation. If you lean into the hard things that Jesus says, it's because some of the hardest things bring the most spiritual life and our greatest moments of tension. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus... I hope I did your passage justice. I really do. I know that the hardest passages in scriptures are the ones that have shaped me the most. And God, there is someone in this room that is wrestling with this this relational conflict that's happening right now because of the deep work you're doing. And there's going to be others that are going to come into places of contention whether it has to do with a job change, whether it has to do with how they're raising their kids, whether it has to do with healthy boundaries, we're all going to come into a place of tension. God, I've had that, even with my family. But Jesus, empower us so that the life-changing message of the gospel will be brought to fruition. And all God's people said, amen.